Um, hopefully everyone's got themselves a handout. If not, there's probably still some on the back, so please do uh, grab one. Also, during, uh, during this whole evening, I'm sure it might uh, cause you to ask many, many questions of different things bubbling around your head. And I love questions. I love the fact that our God is a God of truth. I love the fact that actually he brings things from the dark, even our doubts and our fears and our questions, and he encourages us to bring them into the light. I love that in the light, that is a place of transformation and a place of, of healing. Um, I'm not going to claim to have the answer for every question, but I am going to encourage you, please, uh, to ask them. The way that we're going to be asking questions today is with slido.com. Uh, how it works is you just put slido.com into Google, uh, you put in the code, and then you can ask whatever question you like. And what I love about Slido is that you get to vote on them. So if there's a question there which you think is particularly interesting, then vote it up. <laughs> and the more people who vote, the more we know what the, uh, what the room is thinking and feeling. But as we come now to just reflect on this question, love is love, uh, let's come in a posture of humility and in prayer. Our oh, dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, I want to thank you for my sister Catherine. I want to thank you so much for how your spirit has powerfully worked in her life to bring her to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How that through in different stages of life with um, different thoughts and feelings she's been able to see the glories of Christ and how living for him is always worth it, no matter the cost. I pray for us uh, who are gathered here today, Father God, whatever we may think of you and of your word, I pray, Father God, may you speak uh, to each of us so that we may see the goodness of your plans and your purposes, so we may see the glories of your nature and of your Son. Uh, please lead us and guide us now, for you and your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Love is love. It's sort of one of the slogans of the day, isn't it? All love is equal, all love, love is valid, all love is of equal worth. It doesn't matter if you're uh, too heterosexual people, uh, to homosexual people, it doesn't matter if you're actually three people or four people or more people. Love is love. And it feels like it's just in our faces the whole time, doesn't it? It feels like you can see it on, a, on, on the badges that, that people wear. You see it on the billboards. It feels like every company out there wants to demonstrate how they're pro and for this sign. That you're sort of hit pride month. And suddenly every, every logo around seems to turn to a new rainbow flag. Or, or seems to be different rainbow flags. They can't seem to make up their mind at the moment. But it's everywhere, isn't it? And first off, I want to say that I do think there is something good and actually helpful about love is love. And the thing which I think is good and helpful is that it gives people dignity. And I can get on board with dignity. All people are made in God's image. And that means our dignity and our worth, it is written into our very DNA. And, and I think God has made us as creatures to have the ability to make choices. Choices which we won't always agree with. I don't agree when someone uh, chooses to follow sort of Buddhist practices. I don't agree when someone uh, chooses to go to synagogue. I don't agree that actually worshipping Allah is the way forward or the best for anyone. I don't think that's how people are going to flourish. However, I still think that person has dignity and I still think that person has a right to make a choice which I might not necessarily agree with. 
a choice which I might want to speak into, the truth of Jesus Christ, the glories of Jesus Christ. But I do want to respect them to allow them to make a choice different to I. And I want to say that God is God, that he reigns supreme, that he sits on his throne, that all people will be called into judgment and justice, and I'll leave the judging to God. I think love is love gives people dignity and we need to respect people's choices. I also think it, it, it speaks to reality that these feelings are real. I think we look back through sort of the, the human history and there has been too much of an assumption that actually these feelings are just made up. That they can just be squashed and ignored. And actually I think we need to give people the dignity of acknowledging no, these feelings are real and they are genuine. The reality is that I respect my LGBT friends. I have so much to learn from them. And I'm so glad and I'm grateful for them. Even though some of them have made very different choices uh, to me. Choices which I don't think are for their good or for their flourishing. But then so many people have made choices which I don't think are good. I think of the majority of my heterosexual, non-Christian couple, um, friends. I don't think they've made good choices which are for their good or for their flourishing but I still respect them. Now that is all I had to say on love is love. (laughs) Probably wouldn't be the most interesting talk or why anyone has really come here. (laughs) Because I don't think love is love. I don't, even though it gives people value and dignity, I, I also think it is lacking in so many ways. Because I don't think that all love is good. The uh, gay rights activist and born-again Christian uh, says, and his quotes on, on, on your sheets, while our slogan was popular, it was shallow at best. Love is love doesn't mean that much semantically, and it provides no definition of what love actually is, nor can it differentiate between the various kinds of human love and desire. Do we really think that all love is love and that all love is good. We look at a, a, par- a parental love and we say, yes, for sure that's good. The love that a parent has for a child, that is wonderfully good. But you add a sexual dynamic into that love and suddenly it's a bad love. You might cry out at me, no, surely there has to be something consenting about this. Or we could look at the love between a man and a woman. But the problem is that one of them is in a married relationship already. They enter into thinking, oh, but this is what my heart desires, what I want and what I long for. And yet, even though the couple themselves might feel a sense of completeness, the reality is that someone will get hurt eventually. Not all love is good love. How can we understand what is good love because it seems to be if we just base it on a human experience on ourself and our understanding of love it is too limited and too complicated it is is lacking a sort of a definition because actually people can experience love so differently and some love can build up and some love can tear down some love can do good and some love can harm so if we have a definition and understanding of love, which is just purely based on the self and our experiences of love, it, it is not good enough. It's almost like we need 
an understanding of what love is to come from outside of the human experience. We need that understanding of love to come into the human experience and to tell us and to teach us what love is. You might be sat there today and thinking, I know where you're going, Adam. I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to say that we need to listen to God's understanding of love. But I don't like his understanding of love. If I want to sleep with my partner, I want to sleep with my partner. Whether I'm married to them or not, whether I'm of the same gender of them or not, I just want to do what I want to do. Why should we listen to God's understanding of love? And particularly in the, in the case of this evening, why should we listen to God's understanding of marriage and same-sex marriage? Now there's actually lots we could say. There's so much we could say. We could talk about the biological reality of men and women and how one fits together like a hand fits into a glove. We could talk about the fact that our society actually needs men and women to partner up and to have children or we will simply cease to exist. We could talk about the fact that when you add sexuality and sex sorry, into a friendship, it makes friendships incredibly complicated. We could talk about the fact that actually lots of long-term same-sex couples lack purpose in their relationships. I remember being just deeply struck when a, a gay friend of mine said to me, Adam, there's a lot of fun, but there's no fruit. There's a lot of fun, but there's no fruit. We could talk about how there is just a high levels of social anxiety has been growing up in our society, and particularly with, with uh, uh, our teenagers, how actually in many ways we are the most, materialistically the most um, successful we have ever been, and yet people are also the most scared. And so much of this is being wrapped up into the questions of sexuality and gender. We could talk about the, how the sexual revolution has led to the gender revolution, how the number of people who are just struggling with their very just core, just sense of self, and their sense of worth and their understanding. We could talk about actual personal stories. I could share you the story of a man who I'm going to call Ben. And how over a two-year period, he slept with 200 men. And that even though he went from experience to experience to experience to experience, even though on the surface of things he's, one of, he's a, successful, a successful man, sexual man, where did that lead him? Well, that led him to a bridge. And he got out of his car and he thought, I'd rather throw myself off this bridge than keep on going the life I am. That's where it led him. Well, I could tell you the story of a man we're going to call Sam. And and Sam, I remember him sharing this tale with me as we were sharing a pint. He didn't come from a Christian uh, upbringing. And he just talked about how how he felt like the gay community had chewed him up and just spat him out. And he was just so desperate for love. We could share those stories. We could share these facts. We could share all these things which all have truth within them. And yet I'm confident that, that we'd still struggle. We'd still struggle to say, oh yeah, same-sex marriage is definitely wrong. And I'm confident that there'd be people who'd struggle to say it, because I can struggle to say that. My own experiences of my own sexuality. And I can struggle to say that because 
Because I just think probably most of us in the room will know friends, family, our children, who actually are same-sex attracted and in a same-sex relationship, but on the surface of things it looks like they're happy and they're fulfilled and they're satisfied. So why is it wrong? Why is it wrong? What is harmful about same-sex marriage? And as I keep on pondering this question, I keep on coming back to this, uh, this reality that consequences take time to be revealed. That the consequences of an action take time to be revealed. The only way we can know the full extent of our actions and our decisions is if we know everything. And we don't know everything. Two teenagers might be intoxicated by one another. They might choose to willingly enter into a sexual relationship. And then nine months later, the reality of that decision is born. It is literally born because the consequence of an action can take time to be revealed. An adulterous affair, that couple might enter into it thinking that it is good, that it is fine, that it is for their benefit. But nothing stays secret forever. And once it comes out, well, people will be hurt. Whether that be after a few weeks or after a few years. The consequences of an action take time to be revealed. When the Industrial Revolution took this nation by storm, it threw us forwards so that we progressed dramatically and huge economic gain uh, for us as a nation. But even though the positives must have just so much been in people's eyes as it began, no one knew that it was poisoning this planet. And they were having summit after summit trying to deal with the consequences of that action because the consequences of actions take time to be revealed. The only way that you can know if a human action is good or bad or build up or tear down if it is good love or it is bad love is if you know the consequences of every single human decision and we don't know that. We're limited in our understanding. We're confused by our emotions. We're fixed in a particular moment, in a present state. We don't know the future. And no matter how hard we try to predict it, we prove ourselves wrong time after time after time after time. But God knows the future. God knows the consequence of every human action. He exists outside of all time and he is present to all of time. He knows the consequence of every human action and every human decision. He knows what is going to build up and what is going to tear down. He knows what is good love and what is bad love. And so thus, in our limited, confused state, we need to come to him, to be led by him. Because he knows what is for our good. And as we come to God and we come to his word, well, what does his word have to say about the nature and the reality of love? And there's many things which could be said, maybe even should be said 
about the reality of love. But I've just chosen three things. And the first one is uh, on our sheet here. Good love. There's a sexual element to good love. Good love. What is that sexual element to good love? Well, the sexual element to good love is that love is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. It's, it's interesting to note, isn't it, that the Bible begins with a wedding of Adam and Eve and it ends with a wedding of Jesus and his church. Let's read about that first wedding, Genesis chapter 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. When God made humanity, he made us male and female. It is as male and female that we embody his image. And to be male and female is crucial because God has made us to reproduce to reproduce and to fill the earth. Now the comeback to, to that often is, well, but some people just simply can't have children. Some people might be man and a woman might be married, but they can't have children. But the reality of, of, a, of a couple who can't have children is that doesn't bring that couple joy. Actually, that, that brings lots of sorrow. Why does it bring sorrow? Because they have that strong sense that it's not meant to be like that. And that's why it brings them sorrow. Adam and Eve, they they give us this framework for what marriage is because they are the first couple who have been married. And if we were to look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, we would see that actually their marriage is then the framework for every other marriage that ever will be. Now, come back to thee could be like, oh, come on, Adam, that's just the Old Testament. That's just the Old Testament. That's, Old Testament's big on heterosexuality. We can move on from it. But the reality is that we enter the New Testament and we, when, a surprise, surprise, we see consistency in God's word. We see in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus taking these words from Genesis and them being his framework for teaching about marriage. We look in every single epistle which ever deals with, with uh, marriage and is always aimed at one man and one woman consistently and forever. And we finish all of scripture with a beautiful image of Jesus Christ the groom being wed to his bride, the church. The reality is that scripture is consistent. And as, as, as scripture is consistent with his image of marriage, it also guards marriage jealously. We see teaching against Adultery uh, throughout scriptures. We see it in the Ten Commandments. We see teaching against sex outside of marriage in 1 Corinthians. We see teaching against um, same-sex sexual relationships in Leviticus, in Romans, in 1 Corinthians 6, in 1 Timothy. We see God jealously guarding marriage. And the pushback to people, okay, fine. Fine, God jealously guards marriage. That's what we see in scripture. Can't we just change it, mate? Can't we just grow up and just change what we're reading here? And my answer to that would be, well, three parts really. First would be, actually sexual immorality really matters. And it's actually one of the reasons why, over the last few years, because I didn't used to talk to many people about my sexuality. Um, I, used to, I had friends and family who I taught, spoke to, but I didn't used to speak publicly. But over the last few years, I started to speak very publicly 
um, now about my sexuality because sexual immorality matters. And I realised I had to speak into this. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 here. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those are powerful words. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. I, I, we cannot stand here and say that God is okay with it. He's not okay with it. The kingdom of light and glory and new creation. The beauty of seeing our saviour face to face. And the wedding feast which will go on and on and on. There are those who are in and those who are out. And we do people a disservice if we do not tell people how to get in. And be with our maker forever and ever. I also don't think we can change our teaching. Because you know what? New Testament culture wasn't actually that different to our culture today. If we were to look in, in the records of history in Greek and Roman sort of times, it is filled with homosexual relationships. And actually the reality is there's lots of different types, some lots non-consensual at all, but some were consensual homosexual relationships between two adults. And so actually our culture isn't as radically different as we sometimes like to think. And I'm not just saying that as a conservative. If we were to read the the pro-gay marriage historian John Boswell, he would confirm the exact same thing. The third reason why I don't think we can change our teaching is because God is good. God is wonderfully good. And if we say that actually God's teaching doesn't matter anymore, then we're saying that God doesn't know what he's talking about. That he's just some bigot in the sky and we can ignore him. But God isn't a bigot in the sky. He's a father who loves his son in the joy of the Holy Spirit and loves his son so much that he's sent, and loves us so much that he's sent his son to die to save us. He's not a bigot in the sky. If we say that God doesn't, um, that God didn't mean this, then we also imply that God is really bad at getting his point of view across. Because the church has only believed this teaching of marriage for 2,000 years. And do we really want to say that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who created everything that we see and know, can't get his point across? What is that saying about him? It's saying that he is a terrible communicator. And if you can't trust him on this, you better not trust him with anything else. And the reality is that when we come to God, we meet someone who is beautiful. Reality is, when we come to God, we meet someone who is good. Reality is, when we come to God, we meet someone who is loving to the core of his being. The second uh, sort of biblical understanding of, of, of love and what is a healthier understanding of love is that good love is Christian siblings. The love of Christian siblings. It's actually interesting, uh, as I ponder about same-sex marriage and all that stuff, often we can sort of come to think, uh, think that God has only negative things to say against same-sex love. The reality is that God has some negative things to say against same-sex sexual love, 
And God is actually incredibly pro same-sex love. God wants people to be in brother-to-brother relationships, to sister-to-sister relationships. When, when Jesus came to die to save us and rose from the dead and he sent his spirit uh, among us, that, that act created an, a, a new entity, a new family of brothers and sisters. God wants us to have deep Christian siblings, which are filled with love. You know, it's an incredibly poignant moment in the scriptures as Jesus is dying on the cross in John's gospel. And it's incredibly easy to overlook it. As Jesus is dying on the cross, carrying the weight of sin on his shoulders, he looks down and he sees his mother, Mary. And he sees one of his disciples, his beloved disciple. And he says to them, Mary, my mother, this now is your son. My beloved disciple, this now is your mother. And from that moment on, Mary went into his beloved disciple's house and he looked after her. And that sort of gives us a glimpse, (laughs) an image of that sibling, brotherly, sisterly, Christian love. Here is your son. Here is your mother. Salvation does not lead to an isolated faith. Salvation leads to community. It leads to a body of believers. It leads to brothers and sisters. And this community is built around Jesus Christ and it is built around the service which he has given us, which we can give to others. And that's another reason why there can never be a sexual element within brotherly, sisterly Christian relationships in the body of the church because sex makes everything complicated. It's beautiful in marriage and in friendship. It ruins it. And that's why sex doesn't exist between the brotherly, sisterly relationship of the body of Christ outside of the context of marriage. I've got a friend Tracy, she does some speaking and living out as well and she was a um, non-Christian uh, background, uh, practicing lesbian for, for many many years uh, before she met Jesus and one of the things she found most compelling about Christianity was when she walked into church, the women in that church didn't treat her as a sexual object. And she said that church became one of the few places where she had deep Christian female friends. God is for life-giving, brotherly, sisterly love. And as I look at my life, I can see why that's true. How that's true. How that's come to reality. When I moved to Sidgup three years ago, I didn't know anyone. And so my boss, Tom, and his wife, Katie, said, well, why don't you come have dinner with us every Thursday night? And then we hit uh, lockdown two and three, and that Thursday night became Tuesday night and Thursday night and all of Sunday. And I look at that family now, and I see them just as family. And they've got three, three boys, two teenage boys, and they just love just hanging out with them. It is such a joy. And it was so natural that when Boris just took away Christmas quickly, that of course I would go and spend Christmas with them. And it didn't feel like I was in this odd part. It just felt like I was part of it. And I remember a time when um, I needed to, needed to buy a bike. And I was just terribly disorganised. And, and so uh, um, a guy called Howard at church, he let me one of his bikes. He had quite a few. And I used his bike, ran Sidcup for a few months. And then, um, and then I finally got around to buying my own. And I wheeled his bike, took his bike to his house to give it back. 
And as I knocked on the doorbell, his wife Caroline was like, oh, thanks for the bite. Adam, come up for dinner. (laughs) And so I went and had dinner. The same family I'm having dinner with tomorrow night. Or I think about uh, uh, my housemate at the moment uh, called Eddie, who just, just feels like a brother. He feels like he's, he's in it for the long haul. He feels like he's ready to, to fight the good fight. He's spurring me on in my faith. Or I even feel like, I, or even about my friends um, Catherine and her husband John, who went all in a mess in the Church of England, sort of kicked up with this um, synod. And I don't know if I'd spoken to them about that time, but I felt rubbish. And they sent me a text message saying a delivery is not going to sort out the problems in the Church of England, but it will make you feel better for one evening. <laughs> and they gave me a delivery voucher. <laughs> God is for brotherly, sisterly love. And actually, that's the love we all need. That's the love I need as a single man. That's the love widows need. That's the love people who have never got married need. That's the love which divorced people need. And actually the more I walk with people who are married, the more I realise that's also the love that they need. You know the loneliest place on earth, from the conversations I've had, is not a single life. I think the loneliest place on earth is being in a loveless marriage. We all need brotherly, sisterly love. God has called us into a community to be each other's brothers and sisters. The third thing I want to say about what is good love is that God is love. Back to our friend David Bennett. Love, I have to learn, is not God. Flip that. God is love. The God revealed in Jesus Christ is the definition of love. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know what I find remarkable? I find it absolutely remarkable that scripture can label quite a few people as sexually immoral. And yet the church is filled with those people. You know what I find quite remarkable? Is that culture would have us believe that to be a conservative evangelical church makes you a bigot and homophobic and that you're a dangerous place to be an LGBT person. And yet me as a same-sex attracted man, I find that here I flourish. And yet as I travel the country talking about sexuality and faith, I meet so many LGBT people who are flourishing in church. That actually every church I've ever been a part of, I've never been the only one. And that there's always been others. And yes, it's complicated. And yes, there's bad stories and good stories. I'm not denying that. But why is it that church is filled with people who we apparently hate? Why is it 
That church is filled with people who, who scripture says their actions are sexually immoral and they must repent and believe. Why are these people here in church? Everywhere. Because God is love. And when you have heard that word of, of conviction of sexual immorality, well then suddenly you realise that actually I need God. I need his words. The love I need for him is real and it is urgent and it is desperate and it is deep. I need him to come and to send his one and only son to be that perfect sacrifice, to atone for my sin and to pay for every single part of it. I need him to wash me and to cleanse me and to renew me. I need him to give me new birth so I can stand as forgiven and free and loved and known in a family now and forever. I need that. The love that God has, I need, we need And that's why I think church is filled with people we apparently hate. Because we need the love of God. You know, when I chose to commit uh, my life to the Lord and be a, a single celibate man, I didn't think that that was going to be easy. I I thought it was going to be horrible. I thought it was going to be absolutely horrible. But now, 11 years after making that decision, I can say that it hasn't always been the easiest ride. (laughs) But I am a single and celibate man, and I am willing to live this life because I know the love of God. And that no matter how dark the dark days are, the light is always brighter. And knowing the love of God means I know a love that will be greater than any marriage. It will last longer than 60 years. Knowing the love of God means that I know a love which will be more satisfying than any one night stand. Knowing the love of God means that I know that I have a place in his family, a seat at his table, a room in his house, and that nothing on earth is ever going to separate me from him. Choosing to follow Jesus isn't always easy, but it is always glorious and good and worth it. Let's just spend a moment just meditating on, on everything God has been saying today. And I'm going to say a word of prayer and then invite the band up. Oh, dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, thank you that you do not lie to us, do not conceal the truth, but have spoken plainly and honestly. Thank you that your word brings conviction of sin, but it also takes us to the glorious grace of God. Thank you for sending your son to die to save us. 
Thank you that in Jesus we meet a love that is greater than any other. Help us all, Father God, whatever our past is, whatever our sexual history is, whatever our burdens or battles or struggles are, help us to meet you and to meet Christ, to experience that love and to be changed and to live forever for your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen.